This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It is a TGIF edition of BOL Daybreak here as a part of the Built by Bama online podcast. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BOL with you thrice weekly here on Daybreak. And what we typically like to do is sort of set the table for you for the next day or two. Certainly a big weekend coming up, whether you're talking about Alabama men's basketball, making that trip on the heels of a very impressive win over the Mississippi State Bulldogs on Wednesday evening at Coleman Coliseum. 90-69 to winners, Nate Oates team in capturing his first His first SEC win is Alabama men's basketball coach. So the Crimson Tide now shifts its attention to the Kentucky Wildcats, whom uh, Alabama will take on up there uh, at historic Rupp Arena in Lexington, Kentucky. Late Saturday morning, that one's going to tip off 11 a.m. on ESPN2. So we'll get into some of that matchup between Alabama men's basketball and John Calipari's Kentucky Wildcats, Uh, you've got NFL playoff action this weekend that Alabama alums are going to be a big part of. Certainly, that Tennessee Titans-Baltimore Ravens matchup, you are set to have Alabama's only two Heisman Trophy winners uh, in that game. That's assuming Mark Ingram's going to be able to go or or go at, uh, you know, close to 100%. Uh, but Derrick Henry for the Tennessee Titans. Titans trying to ride Derrick kind of like that 2015 Alabama team rode him to the tune of 2,000-plus rushing yards and nearly 400 carries uh, in 2015. So that's going to be a highlight for Alabama fans when you talk about the NFL divisional round playoffs coming up this weekend. But you've had some newsy items here certainly in the last couple of days when it comes to the current coaching staff at Alabama, when it comes to the current roster, as we've kept you up to date throughout the week, whether it was Tua Tonga-Vailoa's announcement on Monday, Devontae Smith announcing that he would come back for his senior season in 2020. Uh, You've had Xavier McKinney moving on. Uh, You've got Najee Harris at – at this moment at least, yet to have decided exactly what he's going to do with his final year of eligibility. Will he come back on the in the wake of a 1,200-yard rushing performance, over 1,500 scrimmage yards for Najee Harris in 2019 from that running back position? So you've still got to sort that out. We're going to get into all of that here. Again, as we set the table for the sports weekend for you, uh, a big part of what we've talked about on the roundtable, on the website, whether it was T. Watts and T.R. on Thursday's podcast, and interestingly enough, we were actually, Tim Watts and myself, we were right in the middle of discussing the possibility of Steve Sarkeesian making the jump to Mississippi State as head coach, the viability of it, the likelihood of it, 
And just as we were really getting into that, and if you haven't heard it, uh, you can go to the Built by Bama online podcast there on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, you name it. If you haven't already, you ought to subscribe to the podcast because you can you can sort of work your way directly there. Um, you, you pro- if, if you didn't hear it yesterday, it, it was a situation where we're talking about Steve Sarkeesian and Mississippi State. And while we're recording, Pete Thamel of Yahoo Sports literally reports via Twitter that Mike Leach has accepted the job as the next head football coach at Mississippi State, replacing Joe Moorhead, who spent just two seasons uh, as the boss of the Bulldogs. So you've got Mike Leach now at Mississippi State. You've got Lane Kiffin now at Ole Miss. So you've got got a heck of an egg bowl shaping up over there. Uh, what you do have, if you're Alabama, at least for the time being, is Steve Sarkeesian still in that offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach uh, roles here at Alabama. Uh, I think that's important on a number of levels. If you can maintain that continuity for a change, as we know, there's been consistent turnover in those spots. Uh, but if Sark can hang around, especially with Bryce Young coming into this mix at quarterback to go along with Mac Jones, that could be of extreme value to this Alabama offense. But, you know, when you talk about Leach and even Lane Kiffin and you wonder what the impact will be with those guys coming in to not only the league, but the SEC West, which we know that's the varsity division and has been for quite some time in the Southeastern Conference. And what exactly is the ceiling for those guys at their respective programs now? Yes, both have long been considered offensive gurus or even masterminds. Uh, But has the SEC on the offensive side of the ball evolved to a point where the unique nature or the schematic advantage, as Charlie Weiss once said, I believe, that guys like Lane Kiffin and Mike Leach could provide to their employers, and especially in a league like the SEC, is that still is that still uh, relevant? You know, having that type of advantage because when you look around the SEC now, you know, teams in the SEC have figured out how to get those one-on-one matchups in space. That's nothing unique to say a Mike Leach anymore or even a Lane Kiffin, who was masterful in that role, especially in 2014. When you talk about the work that Lane did with Blake Sims and the way he manufactured touches for the top wide receiver in the country in college football five years ago, that, of course, being Amari Cooper, to the tune of some single-season numbers for Amari in 2014 – As talented as these guys are that are coming through this Alabama program now at those wide receiver spots, I don't see see Amari's single season numbers for that season. When you talk about catches and receiving yards, those type of things, I don't see them getting touched for a little while. But as far as what the league is now offensively, um, I, I don't think it's as daunting to the rest of the league that Mike Leach is coming in, that Lane Kiffin is coming in. Because, again, Alabama, as we've seen, has figured out how to get 
touches in space and get these dynamic playmakers in space uh, after the catch, those type of things, the slants, all those things uh, that turn into uh, explosive plays, chunk plays. Uh, the, the secret is sort of out. You know, this isn't the SEC offensive uh, approach from years past where everybody had two tight ends or you might have 21 personnel with two backs and a tight end. No, everyone is pretty much basing out of three wide receiver sets and everyone has figured out, even LSU, LSU it maybe took longer than anybody else, but man, when LSU figured it out this year with Joe Brady, the results were devastating. And the Clemson may find that out firsthand on Monday night down in New Orleans. But now that everyone has pretty much figured out, get your best athletes in space against third corners or safeties, and you're going to roll up yards and points, uh, that's pretty much what the SEC has become. The SEC defensively used to be a base defense league 75% of the time, 80% of the time. 75, 80% of the time, even if you look at some of Nick Saban's national championship teams here at Alabama, you look at his 2009 team, you look at even that 2011 team, maybe even into 2012, you were still seeing Alabama play its base 3-4 defense more than at least half the time. Maybe not 80% of the time, but certainly more than half the time in 2009, even I would say into 2011. A lot of that had to do with Alabama's prime competition in the SEC 10 years ago, eight years ago, were teams like LSU that were still playing with two tight ends, playing with two backs, playing essentially phone booth football for the most part. Well, those days have long passed. You know, whether you like it or not, whether as in the words of Nick Saban even, is this what we want football to be? That's what it is. It's three wide receiver sets. It's formation in a way in which you can get guys like Jerry Judy in the slot matched up on a third corner or a safety and uh, watch the fireworks ensue. Everybody's just about figured that out. So when you talk about Lane Kiffin and you talk about Mike Leach and sort of that schematic advantage that perhaps 10, 12 years ago they would have brought with them into the SEC. It's uh, it's not going to be anything all that new. And at Ole Miss and Mississippi State, the personnel they're going to have to work with when they go against LSU and they go against Alabama and even Auburn, uh, Georgia, Florida coming on in the east, what Jeremy Pruitt has going at Tennessee. Um you know, that, that's going to be a deficit for those guys, too. So I love the hires in terms of making the SEC more fun. You absolutely love having Lane Kiffin as the head coach at Ole Miss. You love having Mike Leach uh, as the head coach at Mississippi State. I'm all for adding characters at the head coaching level in the Southeastern Conference. SEC media days are going to be a hoot. But then we're going to play football. And, um, you know, can Mike Leach ultimately match what Dan Mullen did at Mississippi State? Uh, I don't know, because Dan Mullen, he wasn't going to get recruiting classes or put together recruiting classes that were loaded with four and five star types. But one thing Dan Mullen could do was develop talent 
And Dan Mullen got Mississippi State to a point where if there were five or six teams on that schedule every year that State should beat, they beat those teams. And when you do that, you ensure yourself postseason play. Uh, And so it'll be fascinating to watch uh, Leach, especially at Mississippi State, uh, and kind of see how that plays out both from a recruiting perspective. Because Joe Moorhead, right before he was fired by Mississippi State, he had put to bed an early signing class that ranked, I think, 27th nationally in the 24-7 sports composite rankings. That's not bad. You know, if, if Leach can can put top 30 classes together, then he'll have a chance, I think, to perhaps come close to what Mullen did over a decade or so there in Starkville. Otherwise, you know, and you talk about personalities in these things too. Quirky, I guess, is one way to describe Mike Leach. I think a lot of people would tell you the same in collegiate athletics about Mississippi State Athletics Director John Cohen. So that dynamic will bear watching. Uh, as we move forward with that marriage over there in Starkville. You know, I look, I can see things going right for Mississippi State to the point where they qualify at some point for a New Year's Six Bowl. You saw Dan Mullen do that at Mississippi State. Perhaps Leach can do that. But I can also see it getting sideways with those two and it ending in litigation, uh, maybe a combination of all those things. I think everything's in play. Uh, potentially with Mike Leach now uh, at Mississippi State. What we do know is, for the time being, again, is that Steve Sarkeesian still in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, as Alabama's offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach. And what about that hero's welcome for Leach? How about that on Thursday afternoon over there in the uh, Golden Triangle? Leach comes in on the uh, private jet. You got the cheerleaders there. It sounded like the band was fired up. The guy went 6-7 and seven in 2019 in the Pac-12 at Washington State. And a hero's welcome. He had that cowbell. He and the wife had those cowbells when they came off the plane on Thursday evening. So what you're considering now, if you're an Alabama fan, is the situation with Najee Harris. Uh, yeah, at last check, Najee had yet to finalize his plans for the uh, 2020 football season, whether it be a return to Alabama for his senior campaign or perhaps a move uh, to the National Football League. Again, the deadline for underclassmen to finalize their plans for the 2020 NFL Draft is January the 20th. However, when it comes to the academic side of things, classes at UA started on Wednesday. I believe there's a drop ad date of January the 15th. Um, I'm going to go ahead and guess that regardless Najee had probably planned in a way that if he did come back, he had his schedule set for classes and those type of things. But we've gone from essentially Tua slash Devontae Smith slash Xavier McKinney watch to full Najee Harris watch. And if you've kept up with updates from Tim Watts there on the roundtable at BamaOnline.com, you know it's been – a bit of a struggle, apparently, for Najee. And to try to consider the pros and cons, has Najee Harris sort of maxed out his potential in terms of his draft stock with the NFL? In other words, does a return to Alabama, does another really good to great season change the perception or does you know, does it elevate 
the perception that the NFL has of him at the running back position. It's a tough spot for running backs these days, man. You can be a guy like Jonathan Taylor at Wisconsin and just light it up. And with the value at the position being what it is at the next level, it's like NFL people look at 2,000-yard rushing seasons now and go, meh. Hey, Derrick Henry rushed for over 2,000 yards in 2015. That got him picked second round by the Tennessee Titans. And in a contract year now, Derrick Henry, you would think the Tennessee Titans would basically go to Derrick Henry with as blank of a check as the salary cap and those type of restrictions would allow the Titans to do it. But I'm not so sure, man. I think a lot of these NFL teams now, they kind of look at situations like that and and almost arrogantly think, you know what? We got him in the second round. We'll get another guy in the second round. I don't I don't think it's personally that easy. I think that's very arrogant, and I'm not sure if that's even the way the Titans are viewing Derrick Henry. I'm just saying I think more often than not, that's how NFL clubs these days view the running back position. Now, Najee Harris, if you're thinking about coming back, I, I think the risk of going back to school is less in Najee's situation than it would be in some other guys, some other running backs that were giving that consideration. Like DeAndre Swift. Not that DeAndre Swift of Georgia has any reason to come back because he's at the point where in terms of draft value, I would think he's at, he's maxed it. But look at the situation at Georgia here in the last week. If you were DeAndre Swift and you were sort of giving it the same thought that Najee Harris is with Alabama, if you're DeAndre Swift, you're seeing three of your offensive linemen have already declared for the NFL draft. One of your offensive linemen that you would have been counting on, Cade Mays, here in the last day, has announced that he's transferring from Georgia to Tennessee. So a lot of your uh, trust in your offensive line is going out the door. Jake Fromm, announces he's going to the National Football League. And as a running back, you might think, well, hey, that means more touches for me, but are those the kind of touches you're really going to want when you're talking about a revamped offensive line with a new offensive line coach, a new quarterback? Um, Yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense for DeAndre Swift to go ahead and move on to the National Football League. If you're Najee Harris, you're looking at an offensive line that right now appears as if It will return four starters. It will be able to plug and play with a fifth in a way in which even with Jedrick Wills and as absolutely dominant as he was in the the run game, especially from that right tackle position, this Alabama offensive line has every chance to be improved. Certainly if it can clean up some of the mistakes, the penalties more than anything, that's the stuff that Alabama has to focus on in the spring and the offseason with the offensive line. It's not the talent level. It's not the ability to dominate. It's the mental mistakes. It's the the flags. Got to clean those things up. But if you're Najee Harris, you're looking at that offensive line and feeling good about things, and it's a situation where, yes, you are going through a quarterback transition, uh, but you anticipate there being – Uh, a balance on offense that keeps defenses uh, from being able to just totally load up against you. I mean, you're still going to have solid quarterback play at a minimum, whether it's Mac Jones, whether it's Bryce Young, Talia Tonga-Bailoa, because you're going to return two of those four wide receivers uh, 
uh, from the last two years. You're going to have Jalen Waddle. You're going to have Devontae Smith. You're going to have Miller Forstall as a tight end to go along with that offensive line. It's a more attractive situation at Alabama for a running back right now than I would say it is at Georgia. So there you go. Najee Harris trying to figure this thing out. Sounds like it's going to happen here in the very near future. And we'll see what uh, we'll see what Najee decides to do. Now, as far as Saturday goes this weekend, again, you're going to have the NFL football. Uh, but Alabama men's hoops making that trip up to the bluegrass. Again, that's a late morning start. Alabama coming off that 21-point win over Mississippi State on Wednesday night. When you look at this matchup with Kentucky, I think it's going to be similar in some ways to what Alabama encountered with Mississippi State. No, this isn't sort of a prediction or, or thinking that, hey, you, know, you beat Mississippi State by 21. You beat a Mississippi State team with some really – quality size and guys like Reggie Perry and Robert Woodard II and Abdul Adu, uh, you're going to be able to hold up against Kentucky's size and length. No, that's not what I'm saying. It's going to be tough. It's going to be tough because it's going to start at point. It's going to start at the point guard position. It seems like night in, night out, you get this matchup on the ball and you're going to have it again on Saturday at Rupp Arena when you have Kyra Lewis and Ashton Hagens of Kentucky going head-to-head. Hagens is the SEC leader in assist with 7.1 dimes per game. He's also top three in steals. Again, you're still going to have to deal with length. I thought Alabama against Mississippi State did a really nice job of just staying active on the boards. Didn't always mean that you know, a guy like Galen Smith or Alex Reese or Javian Davis that were, were coming down with rebounds. Alabama does a nice job of keeping balls alive and then rallying. It's it very much a, a cumulative effort for Alabama to rebound, to be able to hold up against a lot of these teams. I mean, Kyra Lewis led Alabama in boards against Mississippi State with eight, but pretty much everyone that saw the floor at least legitimate minutes. I'm not talking about the walk-ons there late or uh, Raymond Hawkins getting in there for a minute late. I'm talking about the guys who played essentially 10 minutes or more. Everyone had multiple rebounds. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine guys for Alabama had two or more rebounds. And that's what it's going to take again on Saturday uh, against a Kentucky team that, uh, you know, doesn't really Shoot the three. There's been some teams with Cal. You know they're going to get up and down. They're going to get the threes up. This is not a prolific three-point shooting uh, Kentucky team, but it's a balanced team. Tyrese Maxey with 14 points per game. Nick Richards in the post with 13 points per game. Hagens at 12.9. Emmanuel quickly from a guard position at 12.8. So, you know, it is a very talented Kentucky team, as you come to expect in the era of the one-and-dones. But Alabama getting some nice balance offensively. Yes, John Petty has been absolutely critical. But between Petty, Kyra Lewis, and Jaden Shackelford, you've got three guys on this Alabama team who have scored double figures in each of the last five contests. And then you've got another guy to go along with Shackelford off the bench in James Bolden, who's averaging 9.3 had double figures against Mississippi State 
uh, on Wednesday night. That's the sixth game this season. He has had double figures. He had 15 against Florida last weekend. So after 11 against State, he's averaging 13 per game, Bolden is, so far uh, in SEC play. But again, to combat uh, to combat Kentucky's size and length, it's going to take that team approach on the glass. And then you're going to have to hope the threes go in. And that's essentially what the game will probably come down to Saturday. Uh, Kentucky shoots it well from the field at 46%, but at 30% from three, that's 12th in the SEC. So again, you know the, the opportunity would seem to be there if Alabama is shooting it and having to shoot it over some of this length and athleticism for Kentucky, uh, it has a chance. The three-point shot gives Alabama a puncher's chance in this game. You know, Alabama, so far this season, to tell you the disparity and sort of the difference in approaches between Alabama and Kentucky so far this season, Alabama has attempted 419 threes so far in the 2019-2020 season. That's 200 more than Kentucky has attempted so far. Just 219 attempted threes for the Wildcats. Now, what Kentucky does well, like it has so many years uh, previously, Kentucky gets to the free throw line a lot. Kentucky gets to the free throw line more than any team in the league, and it also shoots at a 78% clip when it gets there. So fouling, as we know, especially on the road, has been a little bit of a bugaboo for the Alabama Crimson Tide. It certainly was in that loss to Florida last weekend. So Kentucky will absolutely look to take advantage of that and work its way to the charity stripe. Now, coming up next midweek, next Wednesday, you're going to have the Auburn Tigers, the undefeated Auburn Tigers set to come to Coleman Coliseum next Wednesday night. That's going to be an 8 o'clock tip. We'll obviously get more into that one as we get into the early stages of next week. That will be an ESPN2 matchup. And if you thought Auburn was going to sustain a little bit of a dip in the wake of Bryce Brown, Jared Harper, that dynamic backcourt from last year that went a long way in carrying the Tigers to the Final Four, it hasn't happened as of yet. Samir Doughty, Javon McCormick in that backcourt, very good players. But Isaac Okora, as you saw, if you may have seen, midweek a couple of nights ago against Vanderbilt, this freshman's a real, real deal. First up for the Tigers, though, home matchup tomorrow night, tomorrow evening, uh, down on the Plains, Anthony Edwards, another one of those one-and-done types, very good player for the Georgia Bulldogs, uh, Georgia-Auburn Saturday evening. Now, as for what we have for you, the rest of this Friday on the website, BamaOnline.com. Well, of course, we got you going with Daybreak here. Uh, But you're going to have recruiting updates from Hank South as we move throughout the, the day. You're going to have basketball updates from both Charlie Potter and Kirk McNair at the BamaOnline.com staff. So we got you covered. We've got you covered. And then like everyone else, like the rest of you, we'll be plugged into the uh, the NFL playoffs. You even have gymnastics getting underway tonight as the Alabama Crimson Tide heads down to Auburn. Yeah, Auburn and Alabama on the mat tonight down at uh, Auburn Arena 
on the plains. So uh, a little bit of everything. It's that time of year where the sports and the winter sports and the spring sports start to come together. I mean, we're a month away from baseball and softball. My guy, Patrick Murphy, talk about a loaded team. How about this Alabama softball team? I talked to Murph here in the last couple of days. Tough break with Claire Jenkins, his starting shortstop going out for the season with an ACL tear back in the fall. Um, But he is still positioned in a way where he can make some moves there uh, in that infield. Uh, He's got a little bit of a concern, maybe more so even at catcher. And that's saying something because Claire Jenkins, uh, obviously very important to this Alabama team. But uh, with Reagan Dykes moving on after last season, a little bit thin there behind the dish, but he's not thin in the circle. Murph feels like he's got four pitchers that he can hand the ball to at any time and go out and get him a W. You know, and that's before you really get into Alyssa Brown coming back at the top of the lineup. You've got power and run production in Kaylee Tao, Bailey Hempel. Um, It is. KB Sides coming back. Uh, Maddie Morgan in that lineup. And Skylar Wallace. We sort of alluded to the shortstop situation. According to Murph, Skylar Wallace, the outstanding freshman from a year ago, the second baseman, it looks like Skylar Wallace is going to step in there at shortstop for Claire Jenkins. So we'll get into more of that as it gets closer, but uh, we're ready for it. You're going to have the the U.S. Olympic team, by the way, coming through Tuscaloosa. Road Stadium being, uh, I would say, renovated, but improved, enhanced. Road Stadium there for the Alabama softball team. You're going to have Team USA coming through with Haley McClenney, uh, the former Alabama All-American. So uh, big stuff coming on the horizon for the spring sports as well. That's going to do it for a TGIF edition of BOL Daybreak. Thank you once again for tuning in to the podcasting we do as a part of the Built by Bama online podcast. And keep it locked to BamaOnline.com. Certainly that roundtable message board is where you want to post up if you're an Alabama fan. Travis Schreier, hoping you have a great weekend. We'll talk to you again when Daybreak returns on Monday.